Father, we ask that as we come to this last time of meeting together, that it would be a meeting with you, that you would um, speak to us, that you would stamp your word on our heart, that we would be women that would leave with a different perspective of who you are, of who we are, of what life is, that we would um, really relish the idea that we have spent this weekend drinking from the river of your delights, that you would remind us throughout the coming weeks of the things that you've been talking to us about now and that you are imprinting on us. We thank you for your presence. We know you're here. In Jesus' name, amen. When um, my husband and I and our family lived in Vienna, Austria, most of our ministry was traveling. And my husband spent probably 50% of the time that we were living in Vienna traveling to someplace in Eastern Europe. Mostly Poland, but he traveled to other places as well. And um, he was usually gone for a week or two at a time. And we got in a very regular routine that while he was gone, of course, I was the single mother of five children while he was gone and took care of everything. And then he would come home from a trip and I would need to step aside a little bit and let him be back as head of the household. That's not an easy step aside a little bit. (laughs) And we had a deal that we knew that within two days we'd have a blowout. There was going to be a blowout. And and it got to the point where we'd have, you know, we'd go along. Sometimes it was right away. Sometimes it took a day. Sometimes it took a couple days. But we'd just have a blowout argument or whatever you want to call it. And and we'd kind of look at each other and go, well, that was it. Okay, we're good. (laughs) And we would go on. I kind of think that's how retreat is. Like, girls, get your armor on. Get prepared. Because you're going to go home, and there's going to be something that's going to make you think, really, Lord, rejoice. Rejoice now. This would be when you want me to rejoice. Satan would so like to wipe the board clean of everything that God's Spirit has spoken to you this weekend. He would like to throw things in your way, in your path, that would make you say, yeah, fine, okay, I'm not... I'm not seeing it anymore. It's easier here. It's not so easy when we're back in the trenches, when we're back with our families, when we're back with our jobs and our school, whatever it is. And so this morning, we're going to talk about top, the top 10 reasons to rejoice. And, um, and I want you to be prepared to need to go back and look at the list. <laughs> that in the days that are ahead, there's going to be times where you're going to think, I need to be reminded What is it that I have to rejoice about? Because we have lots to rejoice about. Top ten. Number one, he is trustworthy. Psalms 118, 8 through 9. These are verses that are right in the center of your Bible. Psalm 118, verses 8 and 9. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. Trust in the Lord. He is trustworthy. 
When Bob and I were first married, he used to do this thing that he called a trust exercise. <laughs> He's a very funny man. And he would, okay, this is going to sound like weird, but, I mean, okay, yeah, it's going to sound weird, and it is. Um, he would hold my hands above my head and lean me against a wall, and then he would go like this, like he was going to hit me like this. And he would go, do you trust me? Do you trust me? You know, that is really weird. He doesn't do that anymore. Anyway, the trust exercise was not about whether he was trustworthy. The trust exercise was about whether I would trust him. That's what God does. He brings these circumstances. It's not to show us whether he's trustworthy. It's to show us whether we will trust him. And that's what we need to do. If you, I said this yesterday. If you don't trust him, it's because you don't know him well enough. He is 100% trustworthy. So if you're having trouble trusting him, then you need to ask him to reveal himself to you. Because what you're going to see is that he is completely trustworthy. Romans 5, 7, number two reason to rejoice. He loves us. He really, really loves us. He loves you. He gave the ultimate gift. You know, I have one and only one begotten son. I have Ben, who's my oldest, and then I had four girls. And you know, I've really enjoyed being with you women this weekend. I really like you. I, I see God in you. There's wonderful things. I'd have a really hard time giving up my one and only begotten son for any of you. God did that for me. God did that for you. He gave his only begotten son for us. The ultimate sacrifice. I wonder how much he must love us. He really, truly loves us. Number three reason that we have to rejoice. He knows everything. It includes the past. It includes the present. And amazingly, it includes the future. He knows the outcomes of our actions. He knows our hearts. He knows where we are strong. He knows where we're weak. 1 John 3.20, Hebrews 4.13, Matthew 10, 29-30. All scripture that tells us that he knows us, that he knows the future. He knows today, he knows tomorrow. You know, it's interesting, when I was teaching school, I had a parent come in one time for a conference, and um, his daughter had cried in my class. And it was because she did something wrong, and I talked to her about it. And she was extremely sorrowful about what she had done. Doesn't always happen with kids that you talk to them about that there. But she was. She was definitely sorry about what she had done and saw that she'd been wrong. And she had cried. Well, to this father, the fact that I had made his daughter cry was horrible. And he told me that I was mean-spirited, that a fifth-grade little girl should not be crying. His wife was sitting there in this conference, 
And I said, well, not only should a fifth grade little girl cry, but a grown woman should be able to cry, and you should be able to cry. And it doesn't mean anybody's mean-spirited. And the only reason that you would say that to me is because you don't know me. I mean, that was the first thought that I had when he said that to me is, oh my goodness, you have no idea who I am. If you're saying that I'm mean-spirited, God knows us. He knows our hearts. He knows who we are. And that is a wonderful thing. Because you know what? Sometimes I don't know me. I think, what was I thinking? Why did I do that? God understands us in ways even that we don't understand ourselves. He knows what lies ahead. He has the only true, accurate perspective of past, present, and future. When um, our family went on a, our whole extended family went on a trip, um, on a retreat down near San Diego, and one of the things we did is we played paintball one night, one day. And a bunch of us, a bunch of them, played paintball. They were down in this, like, kind of ravine. And anybody that didn't want to or couldn't play was up on the hillside, kind of surrounding where they were playing. I I have always thought back to that perspective. Because I would see they were divided up in teams, and they were, you know, shooting each other, and it was hilarious and fun. But you could see somebody creeping through the bushes. But, and somebody would be standing with their back to somebody creeping up behind them. And I, I mean, it was fun to have that perspective, to see who was going to be attacked without knowing it. You know, that is God's perspective. He sees it all. He sees where we're vulnerable. He sees the attacks that are coming. And he has a perspective that, that none of us can have. He even knows what the consequences of our actions will be. In 1 Samuel 23, 12 through 13, David is preparing for battle, and he says to the Lord, what's going to happen should we do this? And God tells him that if you go into this battle, this is going to be the result. He didn't do that. He didn't go into the battle. But God knew what would happen if he did. That kind of perspective. When we, when we moved to Austria, we were, we put our oldest three in, um, the American, um, missionary school, but our, our, the oldest two, our youngest three, we were trying to decide what to do. And we talked to, we got there in the summertime in Vienna. And so we started talking to missionaries who had their kids, some in the Austrian school, some in the English speaking American school, some in the international school. And everybody had their own stories about what happened with their children. And the bottom line was, we didn't know. Because, you know, this couple's family, they put their kid in the Austrian school and they thrived. They put, somebody else said they put their kids in the Austrian school and they just withered. And it wasn't until they moved them out of that environment that they really began to do well. And we've got our three that we're going to put, we think, in Austrian school. It came down to that we needed to trust God that he would direct us and that he would direct our girls. We put our girls in the Austrian school. To this day, they present us, but I think it was a good thing. (laughs) But we didn't know. And you know what? There are billions of examples of us going into something where we don't know. 
It could go this way. It could go that way. We really don't know. We do. We we get the best information. We find out what we can. We're not glib about decision making. But there's a point where you just say, Lord, I am trusting you. And one of the really wonderful things I think about trusting God is that we need to trust God and not trust in some outcome we think we're going to end up with. Because it's really easy to say, okay, for instance, I'm going to put my children in this Austrian school and I'm going to trust you that they're going to do great. Well, that may not be what he wants. He may want my children in the Austrian school because they're not going to do great. Because he's going to do bigger things than having a happy school life. That he's got things for them, that he's got things for me, that he's got things for people that we will come into contact because of that. And so there's this really fine line that I some, that we sometimes cross of thinking, well, I'm trusting God because I believe he's going to do what I want him to do. No. I'm trusting God because God is God and he's going to do the right thing. No matter what that outcome is. So he knows everything. He has, number four, he has ultimate power. Matthew 19.26, Job 42.2, it rests with him. The power is in his hands. He's the creator of the world. You know, I sometimes think I would really like to have the power to do whatever I think should happen, that I would be in control. But I know that I can't do that. I can't manipulate the world. I can barely get myself to do what I want to do. (laughs) let alone other people around me and make circumstances work. But God has complete power. There is nothing that he determines to do that will be thwarted at all. His purposes are not thwarted. There is no force, no circumstance, nothing that can turn aside what God decides to do. There's great confidence that we can have. Great rejoicing that we can have. Number five. He has the ultimate victory. We know he wins. We know we're in the, on that side. The ultimate victory. 1 John 4, 4. 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty seven. There's something just very powerful about being on the winning side. There just is. And it's that he invites us to enjoy that victory. Number six, he has proven himself over time. Zephaniah 3, 5. Psalms 44, 1 through 3. The whole chapters 1 through 4 of Deuteronomy, our favorite book of the law. Right, Alice? Psalm 57.2, nothing can thwart his purposes. I would encourage you, when you're feeling discouraged, to make a list of the times when you've seen God's faithfulness. Times when he's been at work in your life. And figure out a way to retain those stories of God's work on your behalf. To share with your children, to share with your friends, to be reminded of how he's proven himself 
over time. Um, this morning, as I was reading the word, I decided I'm gonna sh- I was going to share something with you because I have had a wave come over me this weekend of how God has proven himself over time. Um, I'd actually told my daughter, Rachel, that I didn't want people to know that physical thing that I've been experiencing, which was I've been having a, a, a crazy rapid heartbeat. And for several months, really since I've been preparing to come, I have had days where, I mean, my heart's been racing like 230 beats a minute. Um, I've felt lightheaded. I kept praying, Lord, am I supposed to go to that retreat? Am I supposed to speak? Because I've had days where I've, I've hardly been able to walk across the room. Um, and I, I kept being afraid of messing things up for you women. And I just felt every time I prayed about it that the Lord just said, no, I, I want you to go and speak. I want you to do this. But I was afraid, and I was sharing with the girls this morning. I had a sense like God was going to be faithful no matter what. If I stood up here and dropped dead, (laughs) he had a plan. He knew what he was doing. (laughs) But this morning, as I was reading the word, the first verses that I read from Psalms was, I cried out to you for help, and you restored my health. And I just was like, oh, I know I've had lots of people from my church and friends who've been praying for me that this would, that it wouldn't be disrupted. God is so faithful. He is so faithful. There were lots of days in the months leading up to today where I thought, I, I just don't see it. I don't see how it's going to happen. And yet God is so faithful. And And we need to be reminded. We need to go back to those moments in our lives where we say, he's proven himself time after time after time. And be willing to find a way for us to write it down, share it, save it. Number seven, reason to rejoice. He does not lie or ever break a promise. Numbers 23, 19. You know... We promise things all the time, and we have every good intention of following through on those promises. We really plan to do it. But then something comes up, and we can't help it. We get sick. Something, there's some circumstance that intervenes. We suddenly don't have the resources that we thought we would have. There's reasons, not just excuses, but reasons why we're not able to follow through on those promises. How reassuring is it to know that there's never anything that comes up for God where he can't follow through on his promises? There's nothing that intervenes. He does not lie. He never breaks a promise. So we need to know what he's promised. We need to be really familiar with his word, with what his promises are. And then we need to trust that. We need to stand on that, that he's not going to break his word, that he's not going to lie to us. Number eight, a reason to rejoice because it's being obedient. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. He tells us to do it. 
It's life-giving to rejoice. It's restoration for us. He tells us to do this because it is good for us. It is being obedient. It's a reason to rejoice in the Lord because he tells us to do it. And the joy is in the Lord, not the circumstances, not the outcome, not our success or failure, but really rejoicing in the Lord. And again, the more you know him, the more you're going to realize that you have reason to rejoice. Number nine, he has our best in mind. No matter how he's working in our lives, he has no mixed motivations. He has our best in mind. Jeremiah 29, 11. He has a future, a hope for each of us. When, um, when Rachel was struggling with not getting pregnant, at the same time, my, um, I have a niece on my husband's side who was pregnant and unmarried and just finishing high school. That is not fair. That is not fair. That doesn't work out. I struggled with the Lord over that. Now, you all know Rachel has a beautiful family of four kids now. But I had difficulty seeing where God's best was being done. I had a real crisis of faith about, I don't know, maybe six or seven years ago when good friends of ours um, were preparing to go to Cambodia, to the mission field. And they were in Colorado with some last um, training that they were having done, and they got in a car accident, a serious car accident. Their 18-month-old only son was killed. The wife sustained multiple injuries and... Um, I mean, just about literally broke every bone in her body. They, their stuff was in Cambodia. I mean, that's how close they were to, to leaving, to go, to be missionaries in Cambodia. And I, I told the Lord off. I just did. I mean, these people are doing everything, sacrificing everything, leaving everything to go and spread the gospel in Cambodia and this is their reward? This is what they get? I, this is your best? I, I'm serious about saying I had a really hard time with the Lord over that. That was a serious crisis for me. And you know, the interesting thing is, is that, I mean, it took, it took some time. It wasn't like, you know, I just kind of worked that in my mind. And then on, that was Monday and Tuesday, I was good with that. I really struggled with it. And, and obviously lots of people who loved them and cared about them struggled with what in the world is God doing. But God convinced me that my view of what is best is skewed. We have certain things that we think are good and certain things that we think are bad. And yet God, God has done amazing things. Now, Scott and Andrea are in Cambodia now. They are, they're just an unbelievable couple, really godly couple. They have two little boys now. 
God is doing things in their lives. And you know what? God is doing things in their lives and through them that would never have happened had they not experienced that really tragic time. And it was absolutely tragic. And yet, God did it. And he had their best in mind. There's questions in life that are not answered. You know, I think it's just kind of nice when God does kind of let us know, oh, that happened so that this could happen. That we look at some bad circumstance and we can really say, you know, oh, God, I can see why this happened because this needed to happen. But there's just a lot of circumstances that, that we don't get the answer. We don't, have, we don't have the, oh, that's it. And I think sometimes we think we know, and we really don't. You know, we think, oh, well, it was because of such and such. And it may not be that at all, because God's ways are bigger than ours. But he has our best in mind. And that's what we need to remember. That he has our best in mind. And we may have to be completely submissive and say, God, I do not get this. I don't get why this is the best. I don't get how this is loving and compassionate towards me, towards the world, towards my, my people. <laughs> but I'm going to trust you that you're a loving God, that you're a faithful God, that you're a compassionate God, that you've told me you're at work, that you have a perspective that's different than mine, and you have my best in mind. You have a future and a hope for me. The tenth reason, and I think it's probably in some ways the most challenging, is that he's doing something much bigger than what he is simply doing in me. Or for me. You know, the scripture from Genesis through through Revelation reveals God's great plan. And his great plan is to save the world. That's way bigger than these women here in Hollister. It's way bigger than California. It's way bigger than the U.S. His desire from the beginning of time... His plan has been to save the world. That's his goal. And you know, we can get really, really caught in our life, in our circumstances, in what's happening to us. And what God is saying is, I'm doing something so much bigger. I am doing something so much bigger. He's bringing salvation to the world. And he's working through history. He's got worldwide purposes. We don't have any idea how big the plan is. Because we don't have his perspective. But it's so much bigger than us. And I think that we've all been encouraged and challenged by the lives of people, some that we don't even know, whose stories we've heard, whose circumstances we've seen. And God has used those things to bring people to himself. He wants to use you. He wants to use me to bring people to himself, to come into a knowledge of him. And so the challenge for us is to believe this, to have it stamped on our hearts. 
to rejoice in the Lord. And again, I say rejoice. Let's say it aloud, all of us together. Rejoice in the Lord. And and again, I say rejoice. I'm going to challenge you to remind each other to rejoice. Because there's going to be days, times where you're not going to feel like it. But we've learned the truth of God's word that we can rejoice. Take some of the scripture that we've, we've talked about this weekend. Write it out. Put it on your mirror. Stick it in your purse. Remind yourself of reasons that you have to rejoice. Because we do, ladies, we do. We have reasons to rejoice. We all do. As we um, close our time this morning, we're going to um, have a time of communion. And you know, I, honestly, there's nothing probably more appropriate. But last supper, Jesus had his men with him, and they had gathered for those last encouraging words that Christ was going to give to them. And, um, and there was a spirit of unity among them. And that's really a good picture of what we've got this morning. As we've spent the weekend enjoying each other, having fun. I, I've had so much fun. I've loved being here. Um, and we've been encouraged by one another, by those who have led us in worship, by God's word, by the things that have been shared in workshops and just so many ways that we have seen God bring us together. And he wants us to rejoice in him. What he did, what he did on the cross is beyond compare. And he wants us to think about that, about what he's done. In Mark 14, it says, And as they were eating, he took bread, and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to them, and said, Take, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly, I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it it new in the kingdom of God. We have an opportunity now that um, elements for communion are in the back, and you are invited as you feel led to go back and to take those. And um, I'm just going to have a word of prayer before we do that. Father, we come to you so grateful, recognizing that you've given us so much to rejoice in. And it all begins with the sacrifice of your son, that you would give him for us, that he would shed his blood and give his body so that we might have a relationship with you. We thank you for all that you've done for us. And we pray as we take this communion now, Lord, that our hearts would be in tune with yours, that you would um, just stamp your love on us. Thank you, Father. Amen.